0: Seven out of every ten students, Christian students, students that grow up in Christian homes, go to Christian churches, attend Christian camps, seven out of every ten will leave the faith. That's research done by Christian Smith, a professor at Notre Dame, over the past 20 years. That's what his research has shown. And I've seen this to be true. I don't know about you, but I know that in my own life with my siblings, with my peers, the kids that I grew up going to church with, even with the college students at the University of Alabama that, that I would minister to, in fact, there would be freshman orientation events where they would come and their parents so excited, they're, hey, this is my kid, they're going to be a freshman here, and you know I used to come here, and I was in the college ministry, and man, they're so excited to be here, meanwhile, the kids scroll on their phone. See, it's not that they had the strong, vibrant faith in Jesus, and then they came to college, and college is what ruined their faith. It's that they formed their worldview at age 13, roughly, and their worldview didn't include following Jesus. And then they went to college, and they lived the life they wanted to live, apart from their parents. And this is a, a crisis that doesn't just affect parents, although primarily it does, but for, for everybody in the room today, either you are one of these young people, and this is about you and about your faith, or you're the parent of one of these young people, or maybe you're a grandparent, or maybe a parent or grandparent in the faith. Everybody in the room has got to realize that, man, this, this matters, this statistic has huge implications. And it's not just statistics. I mean, we all know people. This is people that we're talking about. Just think to yourself, think in your mind's eye, who's a student, who's a young person that grew up in church and they no longer follow Jesus? Now, how do you feel when you think about that person? Maybe it's somebody you care deeply about. How do you feel? If I had to guess, I'm sure there's a mixture of there's sadness. Maybe there's regret. Maybe there's fear. The reality is when confronted with the brutal facts of what's happening, I think we all should be able to say, hey, this can't keep happening. We can't accept this. Something has to change. So the question that I want to ask today, I want to open up the Word of God and look at, is this. How can you, how can I, how can we help generations to come follow Jesus? How can we help our kids? How can we help our grandkids? How can we help the young people that are part of our church family? How can we help generations to come follow Jesus? So if you've got a Bible, open with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. So before I get into it today, I want to give a couple of disclaimers. So Brett, our lead pastor, uh, he asked me this past week, he said, hey, what does God want to say to Linton Hall this week? Whatever that is, whatever's on your heart, preach that. And so that's unique. And so, you know, we typically have a series and they say, hey, here's kind of the idea. And he was like, hey, run with what God's putting on your heart. And so I had a message in mind, and I started to write it and think on it and pray through it. And I was really excited for it. And I just kept hitting barrier after barrier after barrier. And on Tuesday afternoon, I said, Lord, is there something else that you're wanting me to say? Because I thought this was it. And within 10, 15 minutes, I had the outline written on this message. And the Holy Spirit just brought to my mind, oh, yeah, this is something that has to be talked about. And here's the reality. I, I feel insecure <laughs> to talk about this because I'm not a parent. So, this is kind of awkward for me to say I'm passionate about this. And so, that, to be more authoritative on the subject, I actually grew a mustache today. Um, <laughs> in case you're wondering what's going on. No, I'm kidding. We dressed up as as uh, Buttercup and uh, the Dread Pirate Roberts last night. And our dog was the rodent of unusual size. So... <laughs> Um, but anyways, yeah, so I, just, I want you to know that my heart behind this is to help you. I want to encourage you. I want to equip you. And if you're a young person here, I, I want you to really consider where you're headed and, and what you believe. And so I'm direct, and I can be pretty intense at times when I put on my preacher's hat. And so... um. I just want you to know up front that I intend to be gracious. I intend for, if you've, if you've screwed up parenting, today's a fresh start. You can start. You can change. I want you to feel like God wants and is willing to help you change. And we're here to help, okay? All right, with that being said, Deuteronomy chapter 6. So what, what is the context? What's happening here? So Deuteronomy is basically a farewell address from Moses to this new generation of Israelites who are about to enter the promised land. Okay, so if you don't know the story, God wanted to bless all the peoples on planet earth. And so he chose one people that would reflect his character and would bring, you know, his love to the world. And so that's Israel, that's the Israelites, the Jewish people. They're in slavery in Egypt. God frees them and he's trying to get them to this land that he's promised to give them. It's filled with milk and honey, awesome place. Well, and along the way, a couple important things happen. So number one, they come to Mount Sinai and God reveals, hey, here's what I want you to believe and here's how I want you to live, to Moses, the leader of the people. Moses communicates it to the people. That's where we get the Ten Commandments. Fast forward, they keep going, and they're right on the edge. I mean, they are so close to entering into the land. And instead of entering in, they say, hey, let's send out some spies to just check out check out the best path to approach entering, right? And so Moses said, okay, that's a good idea. So he sent 12 spies. Well, they come back and they're like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. This land is great. It's incredible. It's better than we ever could have dreamed. There's only one problem. There's no way we can take this land. There's, the, the people are so big and the walls of the cities are so tall. We could never possibly do this. 10 out of the 12 say that. And so they choose to not trust God. And God is so angry with them. He, he, he takes an oath in his anger and says, This generation, this whole generation, they will not enter the promised land. What should have taken 11 days took 40 years. The whole generation, 38 years, wandering in the desert. They die off. Moses is left. He's about to die. And before he passes on leadership to his apprentice Joshua, before the people, this new generation that were kids, now become older, and they're about to take the land. Just as they're about to go into the land, Moses gives his farewell address. And he does two things. Chapters 1 through 3, he starts with the story. He wants them to know their story, the story that they're living in. He wants them to know that God has freed them, and he's led them to this point. And then in chapter 4, he pivots from the story to the commands. So he goes back to Mount Sinai, back to the Ten Commandments, back to the law and says, fear God, honor God, obey God. Here's how he wants you to live. Live this way. So in order for this new generation to enter the land, to avoid the idolatry of all these other false gods around them and to pass on their faith to the generations to come, this is what Moses says. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. So Moses started by telling Israel to listen and respond to the certain truth. That the Lord God is their God and he's one. He wanted them to live in light of this reality, this this. Reality that they, Israel, had a unique relationship with the one true God of the universe. And the implication of that is, if you believe that, then surrender to his lordship. If he is Lord, if he is God, if he's the one true living God, and you know him like that, then surrender to his lordship. See, what Moses told the Israelites then is what we need to do Today. And it's this, if you want to pass on your faith to the next generations to come, help them follow Jesus, here's what you got to do, surrender to King Jesus, surrender to King Jesus. So some of you have heard the Proverbs, Proverbs 22:6. 6, train up a child in the way he should go and when he's older he won't depart from it, right? Well, Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher back in the day, he said, train up a child in the way he should go and make sure you go in it too. What's the point? I think that, again, I'm not a parent, but I I think that what I've seen is that parents have a desire for their kids to follow Jesus. It's a good desire. They have great intentions. And then they think that how they get them to become Christians for life is to take them to church. If I just take them to church, then they'll become Christians for life. If I tell them why they should vote for my political party, then they'll become Christians for life. If I can get them into a great college, they have the best education, they'll become Christians for life. If I can get them the best swing coach, and now they're a great baseball player, and they get a scholarship. And parents who have great intentions, they think, if I do this, then my kids will love and follow Jesus. And guys, the reality is, The thing that our kids, our grandkids, our kids in the faith, the thing that the next generation needs from us is to see us live in such a way that they know that we believe that the Lord is my God, the Lord is one. They need to see you live that way because the reality is to think about it. Think about the disproportionate impact of that one thing, your surrender to God. Think about it. If you say... Hey, there's one God, and I got a relationship with him, and everyone else is separated from him. The only way you can be united with him is faith in Jesus. And everyone needs Jesus because he'll change your heart, he'll give you forgiveness, he'll give you eternal life. People need Jesus. They hear you say that. And then Monday through Saturday, they see you treat people with anger, they see you get drunk. They see you live as Lord of your life. You're on the throne. You call the shots. If they see that, it doesn't matter what you say. You know what they'll call you? A hypocrite. You know this to be true. You've seen this to be true. The thing that matters most is that you live a surrendered life. And even if maybe you don't live like a really hypocritical life. Maybe you're thinking, well, Preston, ah, okay, maybe that's true. But, but I don't, I'm not a big hypocrite. I don't, I don't live this big hypocritical life. So maybe for me, this isn't the most important thing. And I would say even you who don't, you're not a big hypocrite, I still think that this is probably the most important thing. Why? Because your surrender sets the ceiling for your kids. It is really hard for a child to surpass the level of faith and obedience that their parents display consistently for 18 years. It can be done, but it's hard. And so what I'm saying is, if we'll listen to Moses and do what he said, what if our ceiling could become their floor? What if the level of surrender that you have, where you let God have the agenda of your life, maybe you had a dream that you gave up, and said, God, you've called me to do this. Maybe you used to make certain decisions, and you say, you know, what what does God want me to do? Maybe you talked a certain way, and you say, I'm not going to talk that way anymore. Maybe we used to go certain places, we don't go there anymore. Maybe they see, wait a minute, they're not in control. They let God dictate their life. Maybe if they see that, just maybe, they'd want to follow Jesus. So if your kids <laughs> were to answer the question, does your mom and dad live surrendered to King Jesus, what would they say? You might be thinking, gosh, man, I'm a sucky parent. I've blown it. I, I messed these kids up, whatever. Again, maybe you have. Today can be a a new day. Today you can start fresh. You're not done. It's not too late. Whatever lies, the enemy will tell you about it. Your surrender now can still impact your kids and grandkids. But we've got to surrender to King Jesus. So Moses started by telling this new generation going into the land, Listen, you've got to believe and live in light of this reality. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And then Moses continued... Verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So Moses pivots from, hey, listen, to love. Love God. And he didn't just say, hey, love God a little bit. No, he said, love God with all, with everything, with every fiber of your being. Love God. And so if you and I want to help generations to come follow Jesus... We've got to love God with every fiber of our being. Have you ever seen a family that loves a certain university? Have you ever noticed that? Grandma, mom, daughter, then the grandkid, they all, they all go to Virginia Tech. They all go to UVA, whatever it is, right? They all go to App State. Isn't that so Interesting that they would be willing to exert time and effort and energy, and they would go on a pilgrimage probably yearly to that university, and they would do the rites and the rituals of that university. Isn't it true that what we love can be imparted to the next generation? You know it in your own life. Some of you, you love Star Wars, and so your kids love Star Wars. Some of you love the Raiders, and so your kids love the Raiders. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. You know, some of you, I don't know, maybe you, maybe you love Star Trek or whatever it is. I don't know. You love different things, right? And your kids, they love those things too. I, I would go so far as to say, I think kids love to love what you love. They love to love what you love. If they really love you and you love something, they love being a part of that thing with you. then why do seven out of every ten of them not love God? Somebody just said it because you don't. <laughs> That's the implication, isn't it? When you heard seven out of ten will leave the faith, did you think it was an indictment on them? Did you think it was an indictment on the culture they're growing up in? Because I think both those things are true. But did you think about what it says about You, about your love for God, about their grandparents' love for God, about their church family's love for God? Did you think about maybe the people who were passing down the faith? If your kids could ask you, man, do your your mom and dad, do your grandparents, do the... Do they love God with every fiber of their being? What would they say? Not that you're perfect. I'm not saying that. But but would they say, would they point to things and say, yes, I know that because they read the Bible every morning at the coffee table. They constantly talk about wanting to slip away and just spend time in prayer, being with God. Maybe it's they hear you in the midst of a hard relational circumstance, financial circumstance, and they hear you speak in a way where you you trust that God's going to come through for you. Maybe it's that you live life. They say, man, I know that they love God. Why? Because they're with God's people all the time. They don't do life alone. They're with the family of God. Whatever it is, would they be able to say, man, my mom, dad, my grandparents, they love God with every fiber of their being. So Moses started by saying, hey, you got to listen to this truth. And he says, you've got to love God with everything. And then he continued, verse 6. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. And let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. See, Moses told the Israelite adults that they had to have God's word on their heart. They had to talk about it with their kids constantly. And they had to display it where it could be seen. Barna, a Christian research group, says that Gen Z is the first truly post-Christian generation in the West. Raise your hand if you're 10 to 25, raise your hand. Gen Z, represent all the Gen Z people over here. Okay, a couple over here, okay, all right. Last service, it was all front row, back row, Gen Z. It was really strange, but um, Gen Z, okay, 10 to 25. They're not millennials, okay, I've, I've done this before. That, may, that frustrates me so much, but I'm a millennial. Um, so they have found that 4% of Gen Z young adults have a biblical worldview. And you might be wondering, well, what's a biblical worldview? What does that even mean? So if you're Gen Z, think about how you think about these things. What do you believe about the origin of the universe? What do you believe about the destiny of the universe? What do you believe about what it means to be human? About your purpose? About morality, right or wrong? What you believe about those things, it makes up your worldview. It's what you actually believe about reality. And the reality is that you're constantly being discipled in all of those areas. You don't even realize it. When you sing certain songs, when you watch certain YouTube videos, certain TikToks, when you're on Instagram scrolling... When you listen to that influencer, you're constantly being discipled in what to believe. Four percent have a biblical worldview. And part of that's on Gen Z people, all millennial people, younger people, whatever. Gen A for even younger than 10. But part of that's on parents. And so I would say it like this. Um, (laughs) Parents, you can outsource A professional teaching your kid math. Maybe you hire a math tutor. You you can outsource and hire a professional to teach your kid how to throw a football. But you can't outsource teaching your kids the word of God. You have to say, I am primarily responsible. I own this. I'm my kid's disciple maker. I'm the children's minister. I'm their youth minister. I'm their Bible teacher. Carrie, she was here in the first service. She's our children's minister. Carrie gets your kids, gets your grandkids one hour out of 168 in a week. If you come every week, which you don't. (laughs) One hour out of 168. Could you imagine like the unconscious thought? is, well, we go to church so our kids can learn God's word from their children's minister, youth minister. I won't even bring up the statistics on the biblical worldview of the children's ministers and youth ministers. But let's just take it from the time perspective. Just from the time perspective, if you moved your body for one hour a week, what would that do to your body? If you had your kids go to school and learn one hour a week, what would that do to their mind? If you thought, man, my kids minister, my youth minister, they're going to teach them God's word, you're crazy. You have to own it. So here's what we got to do. If we want to pass our faith on for generations to come in Jesus, we've got to obsessively, obsessively teach them God's word. It's got to be intentional. It's got to be all the time. So if your kids asked, were asked the question, does your mom and dad, do, they, do your grandparents, does, does your church family, do they obsessively teach you God's word? How would they respond? Would they, what would they point to to say, yes, and, and here's, here's how they do it? You know, maybe, maybe it's you carve out time. You say, you know what? Life's busy. There's never going to be a good time, but we're so committed to this. Monday nights, this is our family worship time. We're going to read the Bible together. We're going to pray. We're going to sing songs. We're going to pull up YouTube videos and sing some kids' worship songs. Whatever it looks like. Maybe you carve out time. Maybe, and, or, you just weave it in throughout what you're already doing. So instead of just waking up and going to bed and eating a meal at the table and driving in the car, maybe you do all that same stuff, but now you bring your faith into it. And now you... Talk about what God's teaching you. Now you ask them what they're learning about God. Now you share scripture. Whatever it is, you just start to weave that in to your everyday stuff. Maybe for some of you, you start to post scriptures throughout your home, on your car, on the mailbox, on the door outside. Maybe you get a, a, a t-shirt that has scripture. Maybe you get a tattoo. There you go. I gave you permission. Um <laughs> We went to a life group Thursday night at Sean and Lindsey Sampson's house, and they just moved into this new house, and I loved it because we walked in, and it's like three-floor, you know, townhouse. When people say a house, I'm used to like a house, house, you know, like the South. That's what you, you only have houses uh, or apartments, but every, you know, there's just townhouses. I'm still, it's still a weird thing to me, but we walked in, and every level, every room, there was Bible verses. I loved it. It was so cool to see that. And I got kind of convicted because, you know, Meg and I, I mean, we haven't, we're in an apartment. And we've only got one scripture posted. And I thought to myself, we need, we need to build this out. We need to have more scripture where we can see it. But you know the one scripture that we have in our house? Take a guess. What, what do you think it is? Ooh, Joshua 24, 14, I think. As for me and my house, will serve the Lord. That's a good guess. That is a really good guess. That is not it. It's this passage. It's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. How do you think about your home? <laughs> what do you think it, it's actually going to take for your home to become that kind of place? Uh, You've got to get clarity on it. And that's just stating it. That's not even doing the work to do it. You know what I'm saying? This is hard. Y'all know better than me how hard it is with the whirlwind of life going on. Now you're saying, oh, in the midst of this, I got to surrender my decisions to God and I got to love God more than this other stuff and I got to obsessively teach. How, Preston, we know you're not a parent because you're telling us to do all this stuff. But passing our faith on to the next generation is going to cost us. We've got to obsess over it. So what is God putting on your heart? What are you hearing from the Holy Spirit? It might not even have been something I said. But when you read these verses and when you think about applying them to your life, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? We cannot accept 7 out of 10 leaving the faith. Something's got to change. Somebody's got to change. We've got to change. Write two words down. I will. On your journal, pull out your phone, make a note. Just write down those two words. I will. And then fill in that blank. Something simple. Uh, Not like a 15-point plan. Just like one thing. Very concrete and actionable. I I don't want like a theological treatise on your opinion of discipling your kids. No, I just want like this week I'm going to bring up what the sermon was about at lunch. Something like that. Something that simple. So I'm going to give you a minute or two to make your own plan in response to what God wants you to do. Thanks for doing that. So you got a plan. You've been hearing from God. You know the step you're going to take this week. i got bad news. In the words of Mike Tyson, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. You're going to mess up. Yeah, amen. You're going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. Parents, grandparents, parents in the faith, whatever, we're not going to be perfect parents. We're just not. Even when we know exactly what to do, we're too jacked up to do it perfectly. But I got good news too. And the good news is that we have a perfect heavenly father who helps us, who has grace for us, who empowers us. And If you're not a Christian today, the message that you got to hear, even more than <laughs> parenting stuff, is you got to know that God loved you so much. He sent his son. To be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life, and to die on a cross for you. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you. He's longing for you to stop living life the way you want to. And say, God, save me. Change me. I want you. He wants you to turn to him. And so today, if you're not a Christian, I want to invite you to put your trust in Jesus to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. We actually had somebody do it in the first service, uh, Luke Williams. We can celebrate that real quick. That's cool. He got baptized today. Luke got baptized. And um, a a lot of it, honestly, a lot of it has to do with the fact that he has D6 parents. He has Deuteronomy 6 parents. Are they perfect? No. No but James and Nicole they they are surrendered to King Jesus and they love God with every fiber of their being and they obsessively teach their kids God's word and now Luke is baptized he's starting this journey with Jesus and today if you if you are a Christian I just want to pull you back in and say when you mess up when you fall short as a parent as a grandparent whatever look to the cross look to the cross and draw strength from the truth that you have a Father that loves you. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, help the cross to shape our parenting. Help it to give us the grace and give us the, the power to actually pass our faith on to the generations to come. Lord, change us first. Help us to own this and say, we've got to change. Change our hearts, Lord. And Lord, help us to pass on our love for you to our kids and our grandkids and those after them, Lord. For, for Gen Z, for Gen A, uh, young people in the room, 25 and, and under, God, <laughs> they're so harassed at every turn it's a struggle and so God I pray that you would protect them that you would really open the eyes of their heart that they would get a sense that this isn't just some event and this isn't just a social club that mom and dad are a part of or this isn't just an outdated (laughs) dumb religion God show them that you're real and that you long to know them. In Jesus' name we pray.